Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ooh, welcome back, sports fans, to another episode of the Charity Stripe Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, or in the water. Do you believe we have a great show for you guys today? We have ESPN Sports Center legend John Anderson joining the boys. So buckle up, tuck it into your waistband, get excited, because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. It's the Charity Stripe. Pitcher free throws because they're free. So 289 coming hot at you guys. And so 288. And I'm joined on this one by Alex Tossman, The Rock, Tisopolis, and Nikki Snacks Kreider. And you heard it before in the introduction. We have Sports Center legend John Anderson joining the show uh, for a great one. Really, really enjoyable time with John today. Toss, you had a great time. I did. It was. Um it was reminiscent of our previous conversation in quarantine with Adam Lefko, another very well-learned guy, yeah. has seen a lot of sports, knows a ton about sports, really yeah. enjoyed talking to, to John. But unlike Lefko, John is a wily veteran. He's been doing this for quite some time, and he had that much more just kind of like awe-inspiring knowledge to, to give to us. He had, usually it's rare, but sometimes... Like, I never have a guest make a reference and I have to really think about, like, in place who they're talking about. I haven't been stumped yet. But there was a couple times where he said something like, wait a second, what was – oh, wow, I forgot about that. Yeah. And I really recall – I mean, his his well of knowledge just at the tip of his fingertips – the tip of his fingertips is so great. Yeah. Um, great having him on. I don't, rem- I don't remember if it's in the recording or not, but I went to a baseball game with him when I was a kid because uh, we have a mutual friend. Um, and so that's, that's Nacho. Hilarious. Yeah. Nacho Libre. <laughs> that MF or, um, but really great show. Um, before we get into that, we're still brought to you by, and we'll be brought to you by forever. One of our all time favorite sponsors. Bet on line, which, um, it, it's really Nick's favorite sponsor. Um, Nick loves it. He really does. And he's a fantastic better. He's been placing a lot of bets recently and I wish that he, was a little bit more liberal in discussing with me who he was betting on, but he kind of just goes on, he goes to betonline.ag, <laughs> places his bets, puts down fat parlays, massive, just like he's big time. He loves the parlays. He loves the he loves the spread. 
and the over-under parlay together in yeah. games that he really thinks are locks. Um, there's a lot of good stuff to bet on, obviously. You know, the sports are back. The NFL is going. College football. Masters up on the horizon. Really excited about that. Um, but plenty of plenty of things to bet on at, at Bet Online. They also have the online casino as well. It's open twenty four seven. Poker, blackjack, you name it. Five card stud. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so go to BetOnline.ag and uh, sign up today and get your free welcome bonus. Be careful with that casino. I'll always say that. Yeah, be careful. Be careful with the casino. If I was speaking from personal experience, be careful over there with the online casino. And you know I love Nick. Bet safely. Bet yeah. safely. You know I love Nick, right? Yeah, I do know that. And Nick knows that I love him like crazy. Okay. Nick's kind of, <laughs> I'm with you, but you touched upon it, kind of bullshit in the sense over there that he's been making some sly picks and on this on this like competition he's, he's been stingy doing. with his picks, loose with his money. <laughs> That's true. Nick's been on a heater. Uh, so love that from him. Uh, but yes, speaking of heater, this is a heater of an episode. And without further ado, the Charity Stripe Squad with the John Anderson. Enjoy. Listen, he's been better. He's been a better pro than I thought. I, I, I had zero doubt in him. I mean, watching him, when you watch these guys live, but we watch Baker, we watch Goff, and we watch Kyler. We've all seen them live play against us. Sure. I had no doubt against any of those guys. Maybe Baker, least of all. I, yeah, I don't know. The only the only hesitation I have is his size, and not that you can't make some of the throws. Is just uh, from what I have watched and watching the NFL for fifty years is you can run around a bunch as long as you you stay on your side of the ball. If you scramble throws, when you get on the defensive side, that you get hurt and guys you know can pound you. And so I didn't know if he could hold up because like Lamar Jackson's big enough to take care of himself and run over people and Kyler's not so I still worry that he's one pop away from from seeing stars and ending his career uh that said my first year in the business uh I covered Barry Sanders at Oklahoma State and I'm still waiting for somebody to clean shot on him so you know you can potentially you know he he may never ever get it because he's sure he's loose as a goose and twice as he is, pro- he's, I love, Lamar is bigger in size and I think faster in a straight line, but the quickness of Kyler. Oh, yeah. His, it's his side to side speed. I mean, one time we were up by, we were, Texas was up on a lot by them. And we basically, and everyone was cheering and going crazy. And I'm like, this thing's not over. This kid can turn the game in one flip. And he did. That he did. Well, normally we would give uh, a little breathing room, but we've had such good football talk already to start the show. Uh, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, if you, like myself, Nick, and Toss, watched SportsCenter growing up late night, and that's how you fell to bed, you know this man, Emmy Award-winning anchor John Anderson joining the boys. John, how you doing today? Uh, I am well. Every time I see somebody introduce me like that, I'm always flattered. And then I'm saying, "Boy, I'm I'm getting I'm getting old. I'm I'm getting up there in years." But I don't I don't feel it. So if you you know if we want to go run or play golf, I feel you know I'm all right. But it's good. It just sounds old. Thanks for not calling me Mr. Anderson. That's always helpful. You know, it's not <laughs> like that. I'm sure the Matrix definitely uh, you know got to you a couple of times. People pulled some jokes. They do. They say Mr. Anderson. You know what? I've never seen any of them. What? You've never, never seen the seen Matrix? Movie. Rob Dimmel would always come back. Mr. Anderson, like, Rob, oh, that's great. I just, I don't, I don't. <laughs> I'm not I familiar with the flick. Oh my God. No. That's a, I would, you I know the flick. I, I know Keanu Reeves and I know, uh, um, um, Lawrence Fishburne, but I just, I, I just have not seen him. 
Yeah. Well, it's Hugh, it's Hugo that Weaving I'm, who uh, who says that particular line. Yeah. And he's a he's a legend. Yeah. So. He's a we, Josh and I we have a running joke. <laughs> we have a running joke of like trying to figure out. Oh, what happened? <laughs> you're Can good. You hear us? There I am. Sorry. No, I no worries. No, you're good, man. Don't worry. Zoom. It happens. It happens. It'll be the death of everybody. I was gonna say we have a we have a running joke. Not really a joke. Just kind of a conversation of if you could pick one actor who's crossed over franchises, who would you pick? Like if you could just swap careers with them. I'm curious. You you have any thoughts right. on that? Just I could I could have that actor's career. Yeah, because multiple franchises. So our in, in uh, particular, like multiple franchises. So like Harrison Ford right. has Indiana Jones and Star Wars. That's our number like, one. That's tough to beat, right there. Yeah, that's right. That that would be awesome. Um, not sure in the Rocky movies. I you know I don't feel like I could be a heavyweight contender <laughs> who would be in there. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind being uh, Pacino and Michael Corleone. I feel like that might have some. Oh, yeah, yeah. Might have to it could go a long way. Um, you know, I, I might slide in that, and, and probably, you know what? How about this? And in, in because of the recent passing, can I take Sean Connery and be James Bond? Oh, 100%. Yeah, hundred. And you you get Indiana Jones too, and you, you get, get Indiana Jones as well. He's there in go. there as well. He gets that I crossover. Can be yep. That's awesome, man. Uh, well, John, you've had obviously a great career, um, but something we've learned talking to other anchors. Um, you don't always obviously start at ESPN and a lot of people don't realize you kind of got to do a lot of regional stuff first. So a big question we had for you is at what point did you find your voice and kind of take that to the next level and catapult to ESPN? Uh, wow. That's, that is a terrific question. Um, oh, don't make me blush, man. <laughs> no, it is because I, I tell, uh, kids all the time. One, you don't have to be in a hurry. It's, it's okay to get some seasoning. Uh, but the other thing I always they always say, what's the key? And I said, you gotta be, you gotta be, I think, at least in my case, oh, I'm a big proponent, you gotta be able to write now. And I tell them, but the thing is, you need to write a lot so that you can find your voice. So you start writing and you sound like John Anderson, or you sound like Alex, and you sound like you sound like that person. And you're not trying to sound like um Stuart Scott, or in my case, I love Dan Jenkins and Mike Royko and 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 uh Dan any any think of a snarky writer and that's who I love. Um but it takes a while to write by yourself. And so I, I had written, I had been in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a long time. I had like four or five different jobs right there in, in Tulsa, which is great. And I read the state department. But, and I, and I kind of grew into the part and, and felt like, you know, this would be something that I could do because I started as a part-time news photographer. So um, it was sort of a different transition to get there. But when I got to Phoenix, I thought, you know what, this is my chance. I'm now strictly an anchor. I never pick up a camera again. I don't have to be worried with that. And so that's when I started to, to borrow your term or use your term, find my voice was that. And I just started doing more pieces and I had more chances to write and I had more opportunities than just my two shows on the weekend. And I, I tried to sort of stretch that and, and be a little, not so necessarily different, but just try to be, how I would say things to my friends or how we would talk about it. You know, the masters is coming up and they always say, you know, Oh, the masters, they have really, the greens are so fast and they're so, and I, and so I'd written one time, I said, the masters, the greens were slicker than Jim Furyk's head. 
which I don't know if it's the funniest thing to say, but but it's just it's different. It's a kind of a different way to look at it. And if you've ever seen Jim, right, you, you kind of get the idea of what it is and that there are diff different ways to bring about that visual or to say things that are not just, hey, those greens are slick as grass, uh, excuse me, slick as glass. And so when I got to Phoenix, um, and at that point I was 30 years old, is when I really started to just go, you know what, I'm gonna just do this how I wanna do it the whole time. I think sometimes you do. Sometimes you find yourself playing the role of sports anchor. Oh, that's what that person does. That's what I've seen on TV and that's how it's supposed to be. Um, and it turns out it's not. And then it's great to get the ESPN because it's sort of encouraged, right? If you look around, whether it's Kenny May, off the ball, Steve Lee, oh, yeah. right? A pro's pro. Stuart Scott, who was completely different, you know, and, and there was room for that and they encouraged that and they didn't want this homogenous type of, of um, um, sportscaster, sportscaster, and it helped. But Phoenix was great for me to go down there and, uh, like I said, really grow and, and then find out that luckily uh, I got a job that the news director was going to fire me and everybody else was on the sports staff at the time. So, so God, I just <laughs> That's crazy how things work. Was there a point though that I mean, you hit it when you were thirty, right? In Phoenix, you said. Was there a point before then that you're like, "Whoa, this is not working out. I may have to kind of hang this up and find something else." Or were you ready to stick it through? No, no, I never had that. And maybe part of that is because I kept bouncing around jobs, and it kept getting better. You know, there was another message I tell people that I talk to, especially back at schools and stuff. One A is, you know, learn to write well because that, that translates to any meaning. And the other one is you can have a goal, but you don't have to be married to the path. Um, and too many people are. I, I went to school with, with people like that, and they're like, okay, in two years, I'm going to be in my 50, and in five years, I'm going to be in my 10. And if they didn't, then they got themselves down. And I kind of enjoyed the ride. Um, I didn't have a huge grand plan, but, you know, I started, like I said, I was a part-time news photographer. And I got to be a sports photographer. And then they needed somebody to kind of fill in, which I had trained to do in journalism school. So I kind of took over. Now I'm, I'm kind of the third guy and I'm reporting some. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden they needed a, a reporter because they started at five o'clock. So I went and did that. And then, then a job opened across town to be the fill-in anchor and a reporter. And so I went and did that. And then, then the weekend job opened up. And I'm like, all right, let me go do that. And so I would, you know. Uh, and so each part along the way, I was, I was sort of getting different jobs and I was kind of growing into it. And so I never once felt like I reached a dead end. I never once felt like, oh, this isn't the right path for me. Uh, the nice thing was in each of those jobs, I loved all of them. Um, to this day, I would, I would, if I had to go back and be a, a shooter and go shoot sports, it would be fine. It would be great. Each of those comes with different stresses, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, um, totally. Um, and so I, I liked all of them. And uh, so I never had any of that points where I thought, boy, this is not where I'm going to be. Um, maybe if I had to stay in news long term, uh, I might have had that that idea um, where I just went, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure this is where I want to be. But because my goal was to be something in sports, I didn't, whether I was taping ankles or trying to be, you know, the center fielder for the Brewers or covering sports, I, there would be something in my life that sports. Otherwise I would be, I'd be a lousy accountant um, unless I was working somebody's salary cap numbers, but I couldn't. <laughs> unless you really cared about the team. Right. I couldn't just straight line depreciate for Price Waterhouse. That would just be like, I'm out. I can't do it. It's no way to go through life. Uh, you bring up writing now and we all three write. Um, 
toss you, you that was a part of your curriculum in college i was a, one of my majors in college was writing as well nick writes uh, and we really feel it's important is there a piece because you're so well i mean you're so well known for being an anchor but is there a piece that you personally could point to that's your favorite piece you've written or covered on at least favorite piece i've written um I don't know if there's a favorite, you know, they're kind of that's sort of like, I think you'd find that with any author, right? They're kind of like, kids. how do you find your different ones? Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that I, I are more memorable to some degree a little bit um, that I, that I kind of thought that I took something and out of, made something out of nothing. Um, the year that Southern Hills in Tulsa, great golf course had the PGA championship. And somebody had done a piece obligatory. Here are the crowd, right? Here's everybody's experience. And I literally, the tournament was done over. Everybody had gone. I was walking back from out on the property back to where our, our kind of compound was. And I realized how empty it was. And you could just see pads. And I had about eight minutes of a tape left that I was using to shoot. And I shot a whole piece in eight minutes. And there's a little... On the first tee at Southern Hills is uh, there are two statues of the putter boy. You've seen, have you ever seen um, Pinehurst? That little putter boy logo they have. There's two of them. There's one at Pinehurst, and then there's one a little statue. It's only yay big, uh, 18 inches to two feet high, and it sits on the first tee at, at Southern Hills. And I got to think as I walked by, seeing these empty passes, and here's this putter boy, and I thought, I wonder what he thinks now. It's all quiet. Right? He's had all these people. He's had hundred thousands of people every day, and so I kind of shot it and framed him and did the whole thing. I wrote a piece of just this empty golf course from this sort of statue point of view, um, which I was really proud of. I thought that worked out. It was kind of a unique one that was really good that I liked. I won some awards here and there in the local press things, which was nice. Um, so that one, that one, that one sticks out from a long time ago. Uh, I did one that I thought was great on, on that I really liked on closed practices. And I'm trying to get it now with the blue medical tent under the same thing. Basically, I want to rehash it. Yeah. And it's like what goes on in closed practices, right? Because they got the screens around. And so I just, you know, you look and all you see is my little eyeball. And then you go inside, right? And it's, you know, it's safari, elephants running, and it's leprechauns jumping, and the kingdoms imploding. And you get the players to buy it and like, oh, we can't. <laughs> and so Eddie Main are trying are trying to sell right now the folks of Canada. We could do that with the blue tent on the sidelines, right? And you just you go into the blue tent and it's just this gigantic, spacious, right? Dinner parties and you know, yeah, that's hilarious. And all this other stuff. You know, like I don't know if we can make fun of people who are having ACLs or concussions. I'm like, I think we can do it tactfully. Um, but that was kind of fun. And, and the last thing I would say is I, I wrote some, and I hope this doesn't sound morbid. Uh, I've written some pieces I realized that were that were obits of, of people that had passed away that were famous people and I had a great professor in journalism school that told me one time that the obits are still the most important thing you'll ever write um, if you're lucky wow. everybody gets their name in the paper twice for sure you're born and and your obituary most guys luckily you'll get it a third time if you get married you're in the announcement and he goes everything else after that is usually you know it's not always great. Um, he said, so, you know, that that's the last time people get their name in the paper. And so you really need to take great care and do, you know, a good job when people do that. And I, I think of that, whether I'm writing an obit where I've gotten 30 seconds to write it or um, 
in the case of Craig Sager, who I you know had three and a half or four minutes, um, and and to take sort of great pride in some of those things. Um, it spreads the gamut, but yeah, I, I like to think that's sort of where I've made up my difference between me and some of the other people. It's just like the right, and it's like the right it well. That's how you can distinguish yourself. No, absolutely. I think the piece, a piece I read of yours uh, last night was one on the Sears in Green Bay, which I have zero affiliation with Green Bay and zero affiliation with Sears. Uh, but I really, I really loved it. I really, it did hit home, I must say. So that was a very enjoyable piece that I read of yours. Um, well, I think the, I think the thing that... It's literally cut and dry. It, if, if that hadn't happened, then forget if people have read or not. Um, but if, if this Sears story, instead of being a sportscaster, I literally still, I would be a farmer in Iowa if, if that had not happened. It's that simple. I, I would literally, instead of being talking to you right now, I'd be talking to you about, you know, grain subsidies because uh, of the of the tariffs in China and nobody buying that stuff. It's wild. It is. It's so crazy how something you can just flip on a dime like that. It is. Yeah. I think the thing that resonates with me when you mentioned the story about the the course um, in, in Oklahoma is that it's one of those things where if you're critical of your own ideas, you might say like, oh, that, that sounds, that sounds weird or it's a weird angle and it might not, yeah. people might not understand what I'm going for. But I think that's the thing with writing, right? Is like, you just have to keep throwing stuff out there and keep, keep throwing stuff at the wall. And eventually one of those ideas will be the right one. You could come up with seven and, and six of them might not be the right one, but go out and write them and you'll never know until you finish it. So I think that that's, um, that's really like, it's really cool to see that. I, I think it's an incredible angle. Also, yeah. it's just really interesting to me. I'm not an avid golfer, but to see all of the people who have passed this one statue, like it's a great story. Yeah, and it happens the other way too. Um, uh, there's an old journalism professor at the University of Missouri who now teaches up at Amherst, and I went to his class one day. They said, "Give me some examples of writing," and I did one. And I said, "Here's one from uh, about the Cubs," and it was just a lead, but it was about 40, 45 seconds, and I thought it was really clever. Right? It was kind of a take on. Um, you know, one of the guys that I worked on Wipeout with, different story, but he and I had this, we had this idea that like, what if there's just this typewriter that goes through generations and somebody finds it and then that typewriter, that guy writes out some story and then somehow the typewriter ends up in the next guy's hands in the next generation. What does he write about if he's in World War II or if he's at the Olympics or just whatever. So I've written this story kind of on that thing about the Cubs every year and every year and I read, wrote it and I thought, well, that's really clever. And so I got up there to record it and, and we were pre-taping because it had a lot of stuff that had to go behind it with the logo. And about halfway through this 45 second, I'm like, this is just dry in my mouth and this is not going to be as good as I thought it was. It is, it's too late now, right? We're going on 11 and it's 1048. But I'm like, this is just disastrous, you know? And so I'm not sure. I mean, to see it, people would have gone by and go, okay, I bet he was trying to say something. He was just like, you, know, you have high hopes for something, and you go, "Wow, that was, uh, yeah, that was summarily disappointing in a long, you know, in, in any number of ways. That is decidedly average, uh, or decidedly overwritten, right? I mean, that's the other yeah. thing. You know, the best thing to, you know, how do you know the best writing? And when you know when to stop. And, and then I just kept going on and on and on. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, well, that's disastrous. And so that's one of those where uh, you're sitting at the desk and since it's on tape. Uh, it comes out and, and now you kind of start talking to the producer like, hey, by the way, what do we got in the next segments of just trying to distract people? 
from <laughs> listening to it so they don't go, wow, that was, you hear Anderson tonight, that was a disaster. So, uh, you know, every once in a while you have, have those two that are just like, wow, that's, uh, I'd like, I'd like to have that pitch back because that was a swing and a miss. <laughs> Do you, I'm sure you have a good laugh about it now, though. Was it nerve wracking at first, like your first bad pitch? Did that kind of eat away at you? Were you able to take that to the chin? No, I mean, you just, listen, it's, it's hard to go 162 and 0, you know? So it's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. You and, yeah. It's, so, you, you know, you, and as long as you feel like, you know, you win more than you lose. And in that case, you know, and, and in that, listen, I tried. It was, I could have just said, hey, here are the Cubs. And, you know, they say they're going to win next year. And now it's next year. And here's the thing. You know, I could have, I could have surrendered, but I, I chose not to. I chose to fight. I just, I just got wounded in the battle. And uh, yeah. you come back. You know, the beauty is there's like, the one nice thing about SportsCenter is uh, uh, I'm off today, but you know what? It, it's going to be on tomorrow, and it'll be on Wednesday, and I'm pretty sure it'll be on through the weekend. So I'll, I'll get some. I'll get some more chances. Maybe if you had just written that story about the Texas Longhorns football team, it uh, it, w- it would have hit that because that. <sighs> Listen, we Texas is back. I mean, you made the joke. Texas is back. And it's like, you can make the joke. We make the joke now because it happens with the rest of the fans in the program. They say it every single year. Every single year. And we're, we're just never back. We're never back. I don't know if we have enough time to talk about all of Texas that we need to talk about. I'll tell you this. Mac Brown is one of my favorite people. Especially when he talks about Sally. Uh, you know, his, his lovely wife. <laughs> Uh, and and he he's terrific, and he was great to be around, and such a good guy. And I knew him briefly before I crossed paths with him in Oklahoma. Before he went off to North Carolina the first time, he worked in, on the switchers crew. But I, I do wonder this, and every because I I'm old enough to remember that before Mac, the other Mac, John McAdoo was not great, and David McWilliams before him was not great. Mm-hmm. And then they struggled after him. And I'm like, what do you, when you say Texas is back, you're back to what? Right now you're back to what they were a long time before yeah. Matt. You know, I mean, the good old days of, of Daryl Royal and Freddie Akers are way, right? That predates you guys by a bunch. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure what they're aiming for all the time when they come through. Uh, I do think it's amazing, though, how you cannot uh, just win in bunches because all the players are there and the university's commitment is there and fan loyalty is like everything you need to be there and be great same things they have at alabama are exactly in place in texas and by the way we got even more players mm-hmm. i guess you want to fight some more but you guys know this right outside of maybe AM, what's a fair fight against texas and texas Nothing. No I mean, it's you. Yeah, we are recruiting against ourselves half the time. Well, no. yeah. and, and to answer um, your, and to answer your question, and we could kind of tailor this into uh, a team. I presume, judging by your hat, you still root for the Green Bay Packers. I think the biggest issue with Texas is mindset, and it's not. It's they're so eager to kind of not enjoy the journey of getting there and just to get to a finish line and get to a result that there's a lack of focus clearly in practice when you're as penalized as we are when there's a lack of adjustments in the middle of the game and just the overall mindset of the team ranging down from Herman clearly is just not where it needs to be there's no doubt in my mind that Herman can run a good game but can you be a leader of men 
can you get rid of the mental mistakes? And a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, everyone gives the Packers flack often for their lack of receivers outside of Devonta Adams, who's to me out of this world and could contend with DeAndre Hopkins of being the best in the league and Julio, his mindset, game prep, level of focus is to the nines. And it seemingly is LaFleur is that way too, where I don't think McCarthy, and we could speak more on it, um, having watched him a bit closer than us, presumably, I don't think McCarthy was there or no, was no longer there after a while. Yeah, I think he was for a long time. But I think that is a, I think the relationship uh, just, it, it went stale. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. And they were a great partnership and they were a great partnership for a long time. Listen, when McCarthy came in, he reigned in Favre, who had gotten sort of that same stale, a little bigger than the program, Mike Sherman, you know. Yeah, I get you the head coach, Mike Sherman, but I get the ball. It gets snapped to me every time, and I'm going to the Hall of Fame, and pretty much everybody's on my side. And so you run into that. And so I think he and McCarthy, Aaron and McCarthy, had run their, run their course. Um, and I think he and LaFleur are finding their ways just to wreck chafed at that a little bit when McCarthy first came in. Um, I think Aaron had done the same thing. Uh, he still, every once in a while, you can see he gets a little body language issue. Oh, come on, man. Uh, you know, smile, laugh. It's okay. Carry yourself because he does affect the whole team on down. Yeah. He's not um, but I think there's a way that offense needs to be run. And I think he's done that more in line with what um, LaFleur has wanted um, this year. I think it has shown. Every once in a while, you know, the when they got beat by the box so horribly, they reverted this whole thing. You know, hey, I'm just going to run around and throw it and hope I get along instead of run run the whole thing back. So, uh, but I think there's that. Anytime you have a guy that that's dominant, that alpha male, um, and now you've got a new coach that comes in. You know, it's a little. You know, listen, I don't think there's any question that there was a little of that between Belichick and Brady towards the end. Totally. You know. Now, I think they totally did him a favor. They said, Tom, we're going to stink. We're going to stink to high heaven. And we don't want to invest a ton of money in the cap. Go. Go find someplace that you think you can win. And in two years, whenever you're done, we're going to have a huge celebration. We're going to retire. Now it'll be great. You're going to be a patriot for life. Even if you go back, you know, it'll be fun. But I think you, you run into that and you get to a certain level with those guys. And at quarterback more than any other place because they can affect the game, right? A running back can be that way, but it's still all a play for them and stuff. Right. You, know, you give it to a guy like Aaron Rodgers or or any quarterback that is better like that, he can get up there and then they're smart. We can change the play to whatever the hell I want to if I really need to. Yeah. When they go up and do that. So, right. Like, yeah. Nothing lasts forever. I mean, it's going to run a sport. Practice should be fine. And there's really nobody else for you to compete with a little bit there. But um, it's the same. So, my wife went to Oklahoma State. And my dear friend from college is the voice of Oklahoma State. And I said, Dave, I lived there eight or nine years. And I'm telling you, when OU calls, I don't care how good you are, I don't care how much OSU buttered you up, most kids surrender on the spot. And that's sort of how I see the Longhorns. If most kids, if I get called, it's like maybe Jimbo at AM now, but for the most part, if I'm some kid, I don't care if I'm in, in Beaumont or Odessa or in, in the middle there in Dallas, if the Longhorns call and want me, I'm thinking I'm pretty much going to surrender on the spot. So, uh, you know, I'm waiting for him to just start winning big because it, it, there's just no excuse that it didn't happen. It's a coaching thing. And I'm, and probably not telling anything, I'm probably not telling you guys anything you don't think on your own. No, account. yeah, I mean, we know. And it's like you see, yeah, you see it even worse up north in I, what I like to call the Texas of the north in Michigan. Uh, uh-huh. it, it's a coaching thing. 
I mean, at what point are we going to say Harbaugh is not the problem? Because, the, again, the players, he's got better players in Michigan State. He's got better players than Indiana. And week in and week out, he just can't deliver. So at what point? Yeah, yeah. which is, the, I think, the surprising spot because he had delivered in so many other places. Yeah. Right? He had, you know, Stanford, he was unbelievable. Uh, and, and it wasn't that he beat up a bunch of passes. Like, there were, there were enough strong teams in there, and he made his way through there uh, in pretty good state. And when he was at, where it was, San Diego. Um, but not San Diego State, you see San Diego, but he, he won there. And he went to the Niners in the state. So, yeah, I'm as shocked as anybody when that happens. I like that you call it Texas of the North. That's funny. I've never heard that. I'm going to put it. Now, I yeah. always tell people, you guys will be there. I tell people, I start, well, where'd you start? And I said, oh, I used to work in the suburb of Dallas. And you go, what's that? I go, Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> that's not become anymore. Yeah, that's true. That's a good Yeah, one. those programs are paralleled so much when it comes to Michigan and Texas. I mean, they're – just the history that they have are just so similar. They, they look exactly the same, just different mm-hmm. colors. Yeah. At least we can laugh about it now. Every time, I mean, I'll never forget. We were, I went to, you've been, I'm sure you've been to a bunch of March Madness games. They're electric. We went to March Madness. It was Texas versus Northern Iowa. Kurt Warner is over there in the stands. It's a great scene. Right. We're under the basket and it is to this day religiously replayed as one of the top 10 moments in March Madness history. Isaiah Taylor goes to the rack gets the layup, ties the game with 2.6 seconds left. They inbound. It's Jesperson, I think his name was, on Northern Iowa, takes three dribbles and chucks a half-court shot. There's Texas fans under the basket. One kid goes, up. Oh, that's going in. Boom. <laughs> we, we knew. Like, we knew before, like, the minute he released. We're like, all right, we were prepped for this. There wasn't a level of shock at all. It was just going in. It's one right. of those things. Um, but the Packers well, look like they could get uh, it done. Not, well, let's not forget Ali Perutinette. Uh, oh, yeah. Down, that was amazing. Which is called Timer, which is that. And by the way, if you're going to hear, uh, why, if you're going to whine about plays that broke your heart, okay, I'm going to come at you with Tyus Edney. Uh, coast to coast for UCLA against Missouri, and we'll see who has the more painful uh, NCAA championship experience. The worst, I think it was like the first year I really did a bracket. It was the first year I was like, uh, me and my friends are doing a bracket. I mean, it was like 15, 16, I don't know. And we're putting money down and like, we're, you know, we're feeling confident. I have like the worst luck in March Madness, the worst. And I'm like, all right, Pressy and the boys, Mizzou, they're going to get it done. They were my number one team to get it. They were like the three seed or the two seed. And that was just hard. I remember sitting there almost in tears that I had lost day one. It's, Norfolk State is not even, barely makes the top three of the worst things that have ever happened in Missouri in the tournament. Barely makes the top three. By the way, that game was going on. I was on set with Jay Harris for that. Some reason I was doing the six on that Thursday and we kept going on. And they'd go, okay, Anderson, come out of break. And I'm like, no, wait, I can't do that. And then Jay would read it. And he carried me the entire show until the end when I came out ball. But we lost. The highest anything was horrible when he drove the length of the floor. Um, back in the 80s, we lost to uh, um, Savior. And Barry Larkin, the Hall of Fame, Barry Larkin, turns out his brother Byron Larkin. His older brother Byron knocked, knocked us out of the tournament. There, there's a lot. Yeah, there's nothing but pain. And I don't fill out a bracket sheet anymore uh, because I refuse to pick. I, I just pick Kansas to lose in the first round every year because my background will not allow me to write that name uh, on a line. I hate that. Also, by the way, remember Kansas. You know, it's always lowercase k because it's not a proper name nor a proper place. Um, <laughs> and so I just don't fill out a bracket anymore because more often than not, uh, they're pretty good. And Bill Self, who I've known since he was an assistant at Oklahoma State, and I think he's a 
terrific coach. I'm like, I'm not going to let Bill just, you know, I'm not donating $10 or whatever the pool sheet price is just to lose it because Bill's going to, you know, knock me out and knock me out with the So I, I don't participate anymore. Not that I, and I'm not anti-gambling by, by all means, you know, bet the hard ways on the come out, but do not, uh, don't, don't send me a pool sheet. Yeah, I, after do you ever play, uh, play fantasy sports, right? Like fantasy football, fantasy baseball. I don't do fantasy because I can't root against my team. Wow, that's loyal. So, you can't, can't have all Brewers. Well, I can, and you see what that is: twenty-eight and thirty, or whatever we were, twenty-eight and thirty-two, or whatever. At least we made the playoffs without being five hundred even once in a day. But so now, what happens if I have to pick? So now I have to now I have to pick a Cub. Well, I'm not going to root for a Cub. Right. may maybe the salt of the earth he might be the greatest guy going it doesn't mean i have to root for him i'm certainly going to put him on my team in fantasy you think i'm going to put adrian peterson on just because he's good he's oh, a viking you can no. do what you can do what i do man i refuse i've played fantasy baseball and i've won so i've won more times than not i have never taken a yankee i've never had a yankee on my roster i absolutely refuse then you need to get with our friend nachi who is a self-avowed worst Rotisserie league baseball player ever. You want to okay? You want to intertwine this? He and my fa- he and my father are mutual friend. They shared a fantasy baseball team. It's a big league. Nacho and leaves. Final right? Forever. Nacho leaves the team. I get called up. First year we win. I and Nacho <laughs> and he is calling me and cursing me. He's like you motherfucker and his, his whatever accent he has and he's on my ass and it's you can do it in four different languages. Yeah, exactly. And none of them great. Always. None of them great. Know. Uh you, you worked in Arizona and you worked in Oklahoma and you mentioned like you got to cover I mean working in Oklahoma you get to cover a lot of great, you know, people. Um, yeah. If you don't mind, I'd love for you to speak on you, your coverage of Pat Tillman because I know that's something you took uh, his charity going forward in a marathon, um, and I'd love to hear your kind of connection about that if you don't mind. Yeah, I was I was really fortunate with that. Uh, I you know how it seems like everybody who writes they say they want to write a novel or write a book. Um, I've never had that. Um, I never have had that goal. I want to write a book, but I ended up writing a book. Um, with Chigi Rodriguez. And I've never in my life ever one of those people, I want to run a marathon. I, I would like to go, how do I not run a marathon? I would yeah. like to spend all my time figuring out ways to not run marathon. Um, I love covering the New York Marathon. I love announcing it. That's my favorite event of everything I've ever done. It's killing me that we didn't get to do it this year. Um, but, you know, runners always tell you rest is as important as training. And I'm so good at the rest. <laughs> um, so the Pat Tillman Foundation called and asked if I would be sort of a celebrity team captain help them and run well you're going to say no to that like oh crap i gotta learn to run american uh for pat but my i go back to pat i got to phoenix uh the year that jake Plummer was well he was there several years but year jake Plummer, uh pat tillman and those guys went undefeated through the pack uh, pack 10 at that point and went to the Rose Bowl. undefeated they were they were one drive from Joe Germain of Ohio State to Michael Boston to the touchdown or they win the national championship, right? Unbelievable. So Pat's on that team and he's just, he's tripped, right? But and, and you can tell he's sort of a free spirit, different, totally different guy than anybody else in the team. You could say that about Jake too, right? Jake is really, uh, he, he leaves, graduates, so Pat's in one more year. We go up to the Sun Bowl. You know, he's the only guy that shows up for the walkthrough in Timberlands. But, you know, he, he can get away with it. He can do it. Now it comes to the draft. 
comes to the draft. And again, everybody everybody knew Pat, but I would not say that everybody was close to Pat. There were a lot of people who go, I was really close to Jake Plummer, and they would be right. Jake would let you in. Jake would. Be, Pat had things going on. Pat had studies. Pat had interests. And while it was neat to talk to the media, he was fine, but he was not. There was no chummy, chummy relationship with anybody there. Nobody knew him better than but he comes to get it comes to the draft and, and Bruce Snyder, who has since passed away, but he was coached there. Um, he said, Here's what I tell you. you know, Jake, we're going through the guys in this room. Jake Palmer is great. Jake's gonna be a star somewhere, blah, blah, blah. He's even better. He is. Here's the thing about Pat Tillman. I would tell any GM, don't draft him if you don't plan on keeping him. Okay, because he's not one of these guys you can bring in and he's just gonna be a roster guy. And then, you know, he'll take some snaps and he'll be on the scout team. And, and then we'll cut him with some money. Don't draft him unless you're going to keep him because he's going to make your roster. No, sure enough, the Cardinals draft him and he's going to make the roster, but we don't know. He doesn't know that. And he has this old rickety, and this is the story I told uh, on one of the days following his death that I think really sums him up. He's got this old ratty bike, right? Just a beater of a, a bike that he had driven around campus and now is driving to practice to and from, right? Because where the Cardinals practice field in Tempe is from where he was, not very far. It's literally a bike. And every day. And so everybody's like, man, Pat, when you make this, you're gonna get, you know, you gotta get in the wheel, right? And he's like, yeah, we'll see, you know, very humble. And he does finally admit, he's like, listen, if I make the team, yes, I'm gonna treat myself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up and I'm gonna have me great. Lo and behold, final comes, cuts come out, and he makes it. And now everybody is there waiting to see Pat arrive, right? In the brand new. And he shows up and he's got a new tennis team bike. <laughs> so I did. Sprung for a new bike. And then, you know, instead of the old beater, didn't come up and so, you know, didn't have rims, didn't have a pickup, whatever, had a new bike. Um, and so that was sort of him and he was great to cover that year. And then I was, I was out in a way. So, but I was, I was fortunate to cover him for, for three years and he was, he was a unique guy and what he did, um, you know, to quit at that moment. And I was actually in Phoenix um, getting ready to fly home on 9-11. I had been out to see friends. And so I ended up there for a week or 10 days and did stories and was out at the complex. And, you know, I can remember him chatting and talking about, you know, how ugly it was. And talking to Rob Moore at the time, Rob Moore, who uh, was a great wide receiver, played for the Jets for many years, and was a Syracuse guy, he was in New York um, through and through. Um, and some of those guys. But what he did and then the sacrifice he made was... Um, was really amazing. And I, I, honestly, as we ran through the streets of New York, because there are times when marathon's hard if you're not a marathon. And, and quite frankly, if you are a marathon, it's still hard, right? They, they, you don't run 26 miles. But there were times I'm like, okay, all you're doing is running. And you're running with Pat Tillman's name on the front of your shirt. Um, and, and he gave a hell of a lot more than you are over the course of four and a half hours. And there were times that, you knew that was sort of sustaining at times where you're like, that bill looks bigger than me. Yeah. <laughs> So I need to figure out how to get up. And he was, but he was truly, a, he was a unique, unique guy. And um, it's a shame. It, 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 was, it was a shame and he should be uh, remembered. And what his foundation does with his, his wife, um, I think it's in the it's not medicine, but the, what they do to help educate, um, uh, help with the schooling education of kids, of veterans is, is terrific stuff. And hopefully, his statue's out there in front of Sun Devil Stadium, but hopefully for generations, everybody knows who he is and what he did. 
Yeah, I saw it when I was down in Arizona. My sister goes there for grad school. And it was kind of a surreal thing because you remember him growing up. And then as you get into sports and covering sports, you know, you start going on different avenues and different paths. And I think all of us separately have, you know, kind of taken that delve into him. But I mean, we knew you covered him closely. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, on a lighter note, um, you've covered a lot, obviously, like we've mentioned. What's the most rewarding thing you've reported on? A moment where you're like, wow, thank I know there's I'm sure a lot of moments where like, thank God I got this job, but maybe the most. Yeah, um, most rewarding um, might be odd. Uh, sports guys, there are probably several. I mean, if it's on a lighter note, my favorite was uh, when we did the NBA Finals and um, it happened to be the, uh, it was a Warriors championship, but the Cavaliers went up 2-1. And we were in Cleveland, Bucci and I, and Dwayne Wade was our um, guest guy on set. And because of that, he had he had talked to LeBron if they won one, he can come on. So now I'm sitting here, and sure enough, there comes LeBron James, and they throw it to me, and I get to say, here we are back at the NBA Finals. Uh, John Anderson, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, as we, or as we're known across the NBA, the big three. <laughs> um, those two guys looked at me like I just had, you know, two heads, and it was great because they laughed, and now we were able to go on our way. But it, it, it was so that was that was terrific. Uh, um, that's one of my one of my favorite things. That 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 was just it was just neat. That that the, the joy, the, the energy around those series with those guys was um, incredible. Um, it was really neat to go do ESPN last. British Open and be at St. Andrews, um, which was great. Um, I know there's some dumb things like I like because I still think it, it pays off somewhere, right? I, I kind of had fun one time at a rodeo that probably not every cowboy thought was fun, but it was, you know, I enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, dude, you never forget your. Listen, I'm a Northeast. Uh -oh. I'm from the Northeast originally, so I'm from New York. I remember my first rodeo. I get down there and there's, I mean, Nick and uh, Toss, you guys maybe experienced more than I have. We get down there, it's in Houston and we go and it, there's people riding bulls and there's little kids like riding little pigs in the dirt. And next thing you know, Usher comes on and then you go out after Usher and there's all these fried food. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm never leaving Texas. This is the coolest <laughs> thing I've ever experienced. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in fact, it, we, we, speaking of the Northeast, we just literally came up because yeah, everybody said it's not my first rodeo. And we were joking. And it's always fun when people, uh, listen, we're all greenhorns at some point. I luckily grew up in Wisconsin, so I had a little more, you know, rural feel to it. But when you figure out finally how it is that they make those animals jump about, mm -hmm. which involves cinching in places you'd rather not be cinched, uh, it's amazing when people kind of figure out how it is and they get them to do that. It's always kind of uh, entertaining. Unless you're the bull for those eight seconds when they come through. Um, what else? I'm, I'm, I'm proud that twice um, when the Gulf War broke out and everybody sent their their sports crews home, because who was doing that in the first Gulf War? George, George, uh, George H. Bush. Uh, wait, George W. George H. W. George H. W. Yeah. Um, 
And that I just went and I just threw myself in the news pool. And lo and behold, look, you can cover news just like you can cover sports. You know, final four, final score might be different, but that was good. Uh, I had a similar thing happen in Arizona. They were cutting our sports that night. It was election night. And I went and said to the news director, I said, hey, don't send me home. I'll be happy to go out and do that. And kind of went poo-poo, like, whatever. We'll find so the assignment editor found a place for me. I went down to do some voter turnout thing. And lo and behold, the lead story was about to come on and the guy's live shot went down. So they went to me for voter turnout election headquarters. And I thought, there you go. First, I was five minutes from being benched uh, and laughed at for not being, you know, oh, you're just going to be a sports guy. And, uh, and lo and behold, I was now in the lead on the 10 o'clock newscast because some poor fool's live shot went down. So that was <laughs> That's great. At um, least it was then and not this past week. That looks like zero fun. To be yeah, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like it's uh, it didn't look um, like that would be the all time awesome thing to be doing when when it comes through. But um, I would just say like everything is another thing. I've always again goes back back to sort of like the day school professor I had with, was with the obits. I had another one that just said the thing you always need to remember is you don't get to choose the news. Um, and so I tried to keep that in mind. Um, that as cool as it is, like that that. You got and you're doing the NBA Finals with LeBron and Dwayne Wade, um, that if you have to do months on end of Aaron Hernandez, who was, you know, yeah. arrested and tried for murder, that that's part of the job too. And you need to cover those with the same enthusiasm and with the same um, dedication and with the same purpose and purposefulness as you would, you know, um, any of those things, whether it's, you know, so it's great when the final score is the big story of the, is the big story of the game, um, and you hope it is. Uh, but when it's not, if it's Aaron Hernandez, if it is you know the, the Astros banging on trash cans, or when I was out in Arizona, if it's trying to build a stadium, and you're like, you know, there's nothing more boring than going to a city council meeting to float a bond issue no stadium. Yeah, but you know, it yeah. is what it is. So have so you? In any of those, I just try to do the best I can in all of it, and understand that you know some days are better than others in terms of what's more fun to cover. Um, but have you caught some? Really have smart. you have you caught some flack from Chris Bosh after that moment? How's he? No, no, I'm not so sure. Although I did have nice a couple guy. of people go, "You are other people, colleagues." They were like, "That was both uh, uh, bold and brilliantly stupid." And just, you know, <laughs> But they, you know, as long as they chuckled, that was it was okay, right? Like they got the gig. There are some people that would just go and think like mm-hmm. yeah, those people take it too seriously. Yeah, yeah. We used to the do so. That, the beauty of that is, and it's like Butch and I were talking recently about the World Series, and you're always in the playoffs, right? And so through all of it, because of the pandemic, we couldn't send as many people. So all of a sudden now. All those interviews post game instead of having Carl Ravage go in there, they just come to you directly on sports and boom, here's whether it's the Lakers, uh, you know, here's Danny Green on headset, or here's Jimmy Butler sitting down, or here's uh, uh, Mookie Betts, or whomever it is over the course of these couple of weeks. And we're like, these guys have been great. It's been totally fun. And then what you points up, but what you notice, we only get the winning guys, right? So they're always in a good mood. Yeah. Life is great right yeah. now. Yeah. Right? Like if you had to pick out, you know, hey, look, here's here's the guy who just got shelled for eight runs and three and a third. Like you never have to talk to that guy. You know, whoever has to zoom in on him 
uh, has, has it much worse than, you know, Mookie Betts has just caught one of the wall and is now 27 outs from getting another World Series champion. That guy was amazing. Those guys are always in a good mood. Um, so that's that's nice that you have to you know in, in those cases that you're you're uh, the subject of your interviews in good mood that that gets you 90 percent of the way so definitely lebron and Dwayne together you're like all right we're halfway home anyway he's one and he's with his buddy so it's hard for me to screw that up unless i start talking too much about me and not enough about them we right. we've been in a similar situation uh, that you were in because uh, we usually when pre-covid we would do our interviews in the studio we have built and we used to do we do like a whole introduction we used to do a whole introduction now it's kind of pre-recorded um and that but the for our sound check we would sing i would like half sing a song and throw the guest's name into a song like we had ryan leaf on the show and instead of do you believe in life after love it was do you ryan leaf in life after love and he like turned to look at me like i was <laughs> nuts awkward. like didn't give him any warning didn't say we were gonna do it right. just went right in but you know it kind of warms people up it, like they if you can if they can laugh at you and you can laugh at yourself you're kind of chilling there. And it's a good point you bring up of covering the positive and the negative with the same amount of energy. We've, cause we covered the, we, we did it. We did a lot on the sign stealing, like a lot. We had a bunch of guys from the globe, guys from the journal. We had guys who covered the Astros uh, deeply and did podcasts on them. We really did a lot with that. Um, but I really can't, the Hernandez thing and a syndic, a thing like Sandusky is, is very heavy and very serious to cover. So that, uh, to cover that with the same amount of energy is a good piece of advice, uh, no matter how tough it may be. Yeah, I think from there we can move on to our kind of next little segment that we do. With every guest that we have on, John, we always ask the same question. Um, what is your favorite sports memory? It could be something that you witnessed or something that you played in. Um, this is a, we, we love this segment because we always get something that we're not expecting. Um, so interested uh -huh. to hear yours. Yeah, that's, that's so one of them is I saw Hank Aaron break the all-time home run record. Wow. Live? Wow. Right there. So now here's the caveat. That's cool. Most people go, "You, why would a kid from Wisconsin be in Atlanta, right? When yeah. he hit it off Al Dowling to hit 715. I wasn't. I was in County Stadium, and I saw him hit like number 743. But every time he hit a, hit one, he reestablished. Oh. The, I was on <laughs> So he hit one when I was a kid off the A's. So I hit him so I hit like 743. So it's it's not quite there, but technically it's correct that I saw him hit, hit the all-time home run record. Um, sure I was moving my butt off. I saw the very first Lambeau leap. Oh wow! I was in the I was in Lambeau Field when when uh, Reggie White picked up a fumble that Nick Bell had for the Raiders and lateral bit to uh, now who's become a very good friend of mine, Leroy Butler, who went into the stands. So I was there for that. Um, that was that was great, and predates you guys, but very famously, um, and this was nine, I would have been nine years old, 1974, Thanksgiving Day, as we come up upon it. Look it up. Cowboys Redskins had an uncle who was down in Dallas, and of my mom's family, his, his her older brother, his turn to host the family. We all go to this Redskins uh, Redskins uh, Cowboys game, Old Texas Stadium. And it's famous because Roger Staubach had been knocked out cold, didn't get left the game. And a guy named Clint Longley came in and threw two late touchdown passes to beat the Redskins. And so I was at that game, which is probably one of the three or four most famous Thanksgiving Day games uh, ever. And I was a nine-year-old sitting there watching that. 
Uh, and then years later, um, in rereading about it, because sometimes it's right, you're like, oh, there is a guy named Blaine Nye, who was an offensive lineman on that team, uh, because apparently old Clint Longley was not a genius. Uh, he referred to it as a triumph of the uncluttered mind. And so <laughs> I have borrowed that. I have borrowed that phrase. That's a great from, phrase. On my own on occasion, right? Every once in a while, you hit one in close on the golf course and make three. And that is, that is a triumph of the uncluttered mind. Right? <laughs> and, um, so those are some of the, those were, those were really um, fun things to be at. Less fun being at the Missouri fifth down game. Not as great from memory. Oh. Uh, and then I also tell people this. I've seen Tiger Woods at a golf ball in person. I don't care where it is or what he does. That's pretty damn impressive. Too. I've seen Tom Brady throw a football a couple times. I'm good right. for life. That's it. Right. There's something about that that's kind of like, okay, that's not terrible either. Just watching where it is on the range. I've been lucky to see him at, at majors and different places. But to see Tiger Woods at a golf ball, that, that, that'll stick with you too. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> Nick, we have one. We have one final segment. We also do with everybody, and we'll close you out, John. Uh, it's Nick's segment. I'll let him take it away. It's the two-minute two drill. drill. All right. Yeah. These are just rapid-fire questions. You know, yesterday. Who doesn't like the Chris Berman two-minute drill? Oh, it's ten. You thought that was good. Wait till you see this, man. This is going to well, light you up. If you've ever watched the old Chris Berman two-minute drill, right? The joke is always, "Yes, it's the two-minute drill," but he's got all his timeouts. Yeah. And so that's five and a half, six minutes for the two minute drill. To get done. Yeah, it can be the two minute drill, or we let you elaborate. I'll be quick. Yeah, you can elaborate however much you want. You have timeouts as well, unlimited timeouts here. So, uh, question one: MJ or LeBron? That's a super simple one. Um, yeah, I'll go with Michael Jordan. Although I think LeBron is unlike any any player we've ever seen physically and what he is mm-hmm. and what he can do. Yeah. But if I really want to win the game, I'm going to put it in my business. Awesome. Number two, Favre or Rogers? I'm going to go with Brett Favre. But my reason is, is that he resurrected what was a morbid franchise. Right? When he took over, I have a, a lovely niece, lives down there in McKinney, Texas. Brett Favre started when she was in kindergarten he started her his first game she started school kindergarten the first time he started and he took her through her junior year in college at marquette so i went and looked at my 1970 starting school till i got into college in 1985 and the packers went through something like 17 different starting quarters and they were lousy when i was a kid they were awful they were so bad that they started a kids section because they were worried the sellout streak was going to end. So they started this one whole section just for kids. And so I had a, I got a season ticket to the Packer game when I was about nine years old. Right, still have them. My mom moved to Green Bay in 1967. It took her 20 some odd years, 27, 28 years. I got mine in, in an afternoon. So it's like a, it was like a student so section at a college, just like an unsupervised, unsupervised, like kids all in this one section. That's hilarious. 18, yeah. 18 or uh, 17 and down 17 and younger. And when you turned 18, it turned into an adult ticket and you had the option to buy them. But just that one ticket. They don't have that now because the NFL has realized they can make a billion dollars on every ticket. And they're good. You, the Packers are you good. You can't charge a seat license and be $1,500 to a seven-year-old with a paper route. You know? <laughs> that's just not that's just not good business. Kid doesn't have that kind of cash um, yeah. when they went through. But so, uh, 
I will take Brett, and it has nothing to do with talent or who's better or the most suitable, but Brett helped re resuscitate the franchise that Aaron has now gotten to continue that success. Yeah, and yeah. people will point to the Falcons' loss to the Patriots as the worst thing in their franchise, but I would like to argue trading Brett Favre may be up there for the Falcons fans. That's a, sure. that's one you can't get back. <laughs> yeah, there's some. But, but to his to his uh, acknowledgement, he would tell you, right, he was a knucklehead under Glanville. Listen, so Glanville's a huge knucklehead and Brett's a knucklehead. That's not a good combination. Yeah. No, no. And, you know, trading him and getting with the right people at Holmgren and Wolf kind of straightened him up in terms of what it was going to be for you know, profession. So, yeah, no serious yeah. man reps jeans like Still that. Still a bad miss. Still a bad miss. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, have you ever been starstruck by an athlete? Yeah. Yep. Um, Who's that? As much as I love golf, it's amazing. Um, uh, Jack Nicholas. First time I had interviewed Jack Nicholas, took me a minute to take a minute to, you know, some pause and still did. When I was in Arizona, uh, he built a golf course and I'd go out every site visit about six times. He'd come out and do it. And we did a little, a little Q&A each time and he'd take me around and show me the things. So it was a really cool little series that came about how this golf course um, and what he saw and what he did. Um, so that was, but I like Jack Nicholas so much more. Um, and then with his missive prior to the election right now, um, all of my Golden Bear stuff is, um, it's in the timeout corner. Yeah. But Jack Nicholas was, was, he's one that really made me go, Ooh, okay, that's, uh, that's him. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys have that too, right? It, it, I, like meeting Tiger Woods is great, but Tiger Woods does not intimidate me because I like kind of grew up on him and where this, I'm slightly older, but you know, it's different. Jack Nicholas was like, that's, that's him. And even if it, it's kind of like having your older brother, right? Like I'm 55. I see my old brother, 58, and he says, "If you tell mom, I'm gonna punch you in the face." And I'm like, "I'm not telling mom, even 55." Yeah. <laughs> punch me in the face. So you kind of never get over somebody. That's so true. Moving on to moving on to non-sports here. So do you have a guilty pleasure TV show? Um. Well, sure. Uh, ABC's Wipeout. Yeah, I was not gonna say <laughs> you back in the Wipeout game, man. <laughs> um, uh, but reruns, uh, baby. Uh, but probably I, I don't watch as much. I, I'm really bad. People have ever seen this on Netflix. You've seen Osage. You've seen, I'm like, no, I don't get to watch um, many of those things at all. I, I'm trying to think of the last thing that I absolutely had to see, right? And it was probably back with my roommates in college. And I'm like, all right, so there's the NBC. What is it? Is it Night Court and Cosby and LA Law? Yeah, um, but I don't. I don't have anything that I binge. Uh, you know, my daughter's just gonna like that. I made it just. I just made it through Psych, or um, I just made it through all the episodes of. You know, she's seventeen. Had all these things, Friends, and all these. But I, I don't really have a, a guilty TV pleasure. Well, Psych is, on the topic. Psych is a great one. Wipeout. Staying on the topic of Wipeout, um, is there a non-athlete ESPN anchor who would win Wipeout? No, nobody wins that. Nobody? Do you have to pick one guy who had the best shot? No, nobody would win. But now if you ask me who do I want to see do it, Okay. Right? now that would be great. I would love to see my old teammate, uh, Lindsay Zarniak, do it. She would have been just boot the whole way through. Um, and then probably Paul Azinger. I want Paul Azinger, who now works for um, Fox or NBC or whoever. Um uh, so I'd probably go with him. And, and Azinger told me one time to do this opening, he goes, have you ever run the course? And I said, 
God, no, Paul, you see what happened to those people? That's ridiculous. Why would I, you know, people get, I wouldn't know. I want no part of that. Because, well, I don't think it's right to comment on it if you haven't run the course. 100%. Pardon me? I said 100%. You got to run that thing. Okay, but I said to him, I said, you know what? I'm here covering the U.S. Open and nobody's letting me play this thing, but you're letting me cover it. It's true. And so I said, so if you want to let me run the, if you let me play in the U.S. Open, I'll go run the, I'll go run the course. So until Mike Davis, and even though he's stepping down, but when they let me run the U.S. Open, I'll go back and I'll call my boys and hence now I'll go run, go run the White Rock course. That's a good, uh, that, that's a good touche right there. Can't really come back from that. Do you have a, uh, a like a pregame ritual before you go on, on the air or a pump up song? Maybe you don't have a pump up song. No, the, the ritual is literally going to sound horrible. Uh, I asked the producer, do I have to wear pants? Um, <laughs> because if I have to stand up and I have to wear the full suit, and if I don't, I'm just behind the desk and I can stay in my jeans. I don't wear shorts and I'm wearing it. But what's the percentage? What's the split of yes pants, no pants? It's awful now. It's like 99% to one. Oh. Yeah. It's, it, we have this, we got the new studio and they want to show it off. So they got you standing up and showing you all over the stuff. And yeah. I'm, 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 a little, yeah. I'm on the Walter Cronkite school thought. News should be handled and set, sitting down from a desk. But that's purely selfish because that saves me having to. You, you know, now I think we always wonder with guys on Zoom because you're always seeing people that are, mm -hmm. um, you know, reporting on, on the TV or even covering the game from their own homes. Right. How many of those guys are actually wearing pants? I'm bottomless right now. Like I got shorts on right now, um, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I've seen a couple of them uh, like game day before they got out. And some of those where hits were, they, they get done, they cut out and Kirby's got a suit and tie on and then he's just wearing his gym shorts. You know, so yeah. yeah, these things happen. Listen, we're built for comfort, not for speed. <laughs> all right. Question. Next question is: Who's your favorite sports anchor of all time? Um. Uh, I can't pick one of ESPN. There's too many um, that are fun. So I would probably let's see if. Um, this guy named Dick Lombardi that I worked with in Phoenix, who was terrific. If you ever get a chance to watch Dick, he might be the greatest guy ever in world television, as far as I know, it's talented. And then probably just the guys when I was a kid that I grew up watching, uh, it wouldn't mean anything. Daryl Burnett, who was a great sportscaster in our town, and then went to Indianapolis. Um, you know, Bill Jarts, who's still there in WBAY. I named John Campbell, who worked at the same station. You know, those were all the guys I watched when I was a kid and thought, that's what I wanted to do. Right, and those those three and a half minutes every day at six and at ten, right at six twenty, six twenty-two, ten twenty-two. Uh, like my life revolved around those guys. Mm -hmm. um, well, the nice thing about Green Bay too is anytime there's Packers, you got to leave, you know, you be at the top. But all the guys like that, Al Jerkins, Jim Klein, just a bunch of guys that, that nobody would know unless you were a ten-year-old kid growing up in Green Bay and thought that's what you got to do. What I want to do. Yeah, it's always the local guys, I feel. Even like I was I'm a Sox fan, but my dad's a Mets fan. And now they've gotten bigger, but Darling and Hernandez to me were always like Darling awesome. He they just yeah, got him in. Listen to the Euchre. Growing up listening to Merle Harmon and Bob Euchre who were against this. I mean, you didn't know it at the time. It's not until you get here and all of a sudden you get exposed to everybody else's radio calls because I can and I think, wow, I was really lucky. Those guys were great when I was a kid. Yeah. I really grew up with 
you know, A-level book uh, with the Brewers. And same with the Packers. I mean, you go from Ray Scott to Jim Irwin. I mean, that is Hall of Fame quality. All right, we got we got two more for you, John. We right, we all love we all love that this is Sports Center commercials. I gotta know what's what was your favorite to shoot? What's your favorite one to this day? Well, I'll be honest. First off, it was fixing if we'd have beat the Florida Gators, it was gonna be the one with Steve Irwin where he tackles Albert coming out of the elevator. I yeah. think that we, we returned the touchdown the other day, the re, the interception for touchdown went up seven six, and I sent that to everybody. We're on our way. Um, let's see. So I would tell you that my two favorites was the first one was great. You always remember that. Until, until you make one, right? All your friends assume that you're just you're kind of working at ESPN, but maybe what you do is Shammy Berman's car, and, yeah. and and so you're not really there. So the first one was big, and it was it was awesome too because it was with uh, it was New Jersey Day, and we had the whole band Bon Jovi in the newsroom. So that's not terrible. I was there 18 months or whatever, and now I'm sitting on here. This is John Bon Jovi. He's Richie. And like, yeah, this. There you go. They were so they were great um, doing that, and they were you know because they had done videos, they knew how all went down, right? So they were really patient. Uh, and the other one that was really memorable was Maria Sharapova, uh, who is taller and prettier than you could ever imagine, right? She's literally a stunningly gorgeous woman. And could not have been nicer. I sit to you, sitting in a house right here that was being built at the time that I did that commercial. And I had to go down and sign the loan papers with my wife. And these things run way behind all the time. And I said, just so you know, guys, at 2 o'clock, I have to go down and I have to sign these papers. And at 2 o'clock, I will be leaving. I'm hell or high water. No problem, I'll have you out of here. And we get started and pushing back and pushing back and we're like, we're going to be a little late. How fungible is 2 o'clock? 2 o'clock is not. And 2 o'clock will leave. 2 o'clock hits. I get up and I tell Maria Sharapova, I'm sorry. I have to go do this. I'll literally be back in 18 minutes. I broke down, signed some time. The banker goes in and pick him up tomorrow. And, and you can get him. He said, I hope I didn't pull you away from anything. I'm like, no, not at all. I was just having lunch with Maria Sharapova. It's not a big deal. <laughs> I leave. Come back to pick him up the next day. And here's one of the pictures they have because they're just shooting for continuity thing. And I said, by the way, here's the picture. And it was me and Maria Sharapova sitting at the table, right? Sitting down to eat. And uh, so he gave me my papers. And then he bumped up my uh, money market by half a percent because he felt bad. He was taking dinner for a lunch from Maria Sharapova. And that one, those are on, those guys are on my list. Those are, those are two of the best. <laughs> that's back. great. That's a good, that's a great backstory. Look, one of my favorite, uh, this is ESPN commercials, was so simple. It was the Oregon Ducks mascot sitting at his desk, looking out the window, watching like real ducks in a pond and you know, just like sighing. Yeah. And what's amazing is I mean, the writers are great because they take the anchors and you have to stay as little as possible when you do it. Right. And then some of them, right. I did the one where I, I did one with the Stanford tree and I just threw the paper in the wrong wastebasket and shames me just by looking at it. <laughs> That's <laughs> a classic. Right. I go get one and I'll throw that. That was at the time before we opened the LA studio and they did it. That was one of two, um, three that were the only ones that were never shot in house. Those guys always come to us, always. And the only time they didn't, uh, we went to Vegas for the Tiger Jam, and the one Stuart Scott shot with Tiger, where his gallery's following him around. Unreal. And since we were there, we did the one where he and I did play, Stuart and I played ping pong with the NBA lotteries. 
Uh, we did that one, and then we did one that never aired, and now can't air. And it was Stuart and I are in the break room, and Tiger comes and he sits down, and Stuart and I are like, man, it's cold, shivering, you know, doing everything we can. What's the temperature? And Tiger's got the green jacket over his chair. He's like, you guys, you don't get to live. right? That's open. We keep saying how cold we are, and he's just like, dude, stop. You don't get to live. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he never won the Masters again until 19 months ago. And by then, obviously, uh, our dear friend Stuart passed away. So that's one that was shot and uh, we will never get to air. That one's in the archive. That's a special one, then. Uh, speaking of dear friends, you and I, we, we've mentioned we share a, a, a good dear friend, uh, Nacho. And let me preface this final question by saying I wouldn't. Uh, would you give your kidney? Soccer, because if it's soccer, I won't either. No, 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 no. It's not. Yeah, pff, I'm not touching that guy in the soccer pitch. Would you give your kidney for Nacho? Because I would not. Oh no, I would in a heartbeat. No, oh, you're I, you're a nicer I, guy than I, me. Right, but my thought is, you know, it, it wouldn't be a match. So I'd be like, I can sound like a great guy, knowing <laughs> that. And send him on his way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because between his love for soccer and as much as I detest it, there is no way there's anything in my body that would fit in his. But I'm willing to make the sacrifice. So I sound like a totally if it dude. were the right fit. But yeah, right. Unfortunately, it's not. So. That's a good. It's a good idea. You look like a good guy, and let the doctors figure out the important stuff. <laughs> oh, John, we hate to tell you, man. I, I, oh, are you kidding? I bring up fake tears the whole thing. <laughs> that's awesome well john thank you so much for joining us man absolute pleasure we loved watching growing up uh, and still do and we really appreciate you joining us today it was a fun show uh take care my man keep doing you hey i really appreciate you guys having me good luck the brewer hat nick with my man we're on it uh you need to let these other two let you talk more but it's still uh <laughs> we've got the hat you represent we're in it and then i was curious hey Thanks, there john. we go we'll take the hook welcome great show Fantastic show. Good laughs. Good. I like a good show where it's good laughs and like there's also some serious chatter. Yeah, it was a it was a good combination of both. It's like that that chicken and beef lo mein combo plate that you would get at your local uh, your local Chinese restaurant. The both the both of you. Uncle Walk for me was the place down the street in Uncle Dallas. Walk, Quick Walk was mine. Quick Walk, very nice, yeah, yeah. very nice. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of a lot of good serious sports talk. Um, a lot of good talk about just journalism in general, the craft um, itself, which we don't often talk about on the show. Most of the time, you know, we're just kind of getting into into the nitty gritty of the sports. Um, but I really really enjoyed it. I'm glad we got to touch on Wipeout a little bit. I'm glad we got to touch on this is this this is Sports Center. You were those really keen those on commercials. That, yeah. I mean, I love those commercials. We grew up on those, and it, it's such a good way to to advertise. Yeah, their show, and I mean, you talked about it, right? It's like what we fell asleep to when we were growing up as 100%, 100%. kids. Hundred percent, Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it was a cool one for sure, and it's you know, doing the research, you learn a lot about it. And the whole Pat Tillman thing was interesting. His yeah, connection there, um, and the two minute drill was fun. He had great answers. One thing I really appreciated, uh, and we've talked to some other journalists about this on the show, and most of them have had differing opinions. Yeah, but he is a diehard fan of the teams that Thank he was when he was growing God, up. Dude, it's, it, it's not about the job for him. It's not like you cover a team and then you become you you lose your fanhood for nothing all these other against teams. those other guys. No, and and you know you appreciate their professionalism, but but th- this is a guy who has not lost any of his professionalism and still 
loves his teams, which yeah. is I really I really resonated with that. It's awesome for sure. I'm happy about that. I'll never not love the Red Sox or Patriots or Celtics. I just won't. And did it like what are you like all of a sudden not love the Mavs? No, nonsense. Maybe the Cowboys, but they're like heartbreak central. Yeah, I mean the we talked about it on the show you know, with John the. The Texas Longhorns and the Dallas Cowboys are, they love pushing away their fans. We didn't even and touch on the Cowboys, really. I feel like we could have gone deep on I that. I didn't think we needed to, yeah, we didn't need to dive into that well. Yeah, it's a, I mean, how many people can talk about that team? It's, you're basically talking about the same thing that you're talking about with the I feel like, do you think, like, working at Oversold ES, and underperform. We, yeah, working at ESPN, how sick of it do you, how sick of the Cowboys do you think he is? We should have asked that. Next, <laughs> next ESPN person we have, uh, we'll ask them that. Um, but John, uh, if you're still listening at this point, thank you. But thank you nonetheless. Uh, great show with yeah, everybody involved. A thank you from from me, Doss, Josh. Oh yeah, and Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, and Teddy. AKA <laughs> AKA Nick, because he speaks softly and carries a big stick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, to the fans out there, drag both feet inbound, swing in a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs. It's the Masters coming up. Let's do something cool. Let's bring somebody in for the Masters uh, and hit your free throws. Why, Toss? Because they aren't free. Because they're free. We out ya. We love ya. We sitting here. I supposed to be the franchise player. We in here talking about practice. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.